This morning we continue together a series on the book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, the honest heart of a individual, King David of Israel, reaching out towards God in joyful times and in challenging times alike. And I hope and pray that as we come before the Lord in this way today, that there will be something that he imparts to you from his word that will encourage you for whatever it is that is going on in your life uh, in these days to come. I believe that all of us have moments, and sometimes even whole seasons in our life, when people deeply disappoint us. I know that has been true for me in my life. I can think of the circumstances in which uh, our family uh, broke up uh, many, many, many years ago, and I found myself questioning my mom and dad, not understanding what we were going through. I counted them to be there for me in a continuous way and things changed and it was very difficult. Maybe you once upon a time gave your love to some girl or guy. Uh, You entrusted your vulnerable heart to them and they dropped it. And then they just walked away uh, as if it didn't matter. Uh, You may have invested in in a business arrangement only to have the other parties prove untrue to what you thought you'd agreed upon together. Maybe you, you shared a vulnerability with a friend, but they, they mocked you actually for that vulnerability instead of honoring the risk you'd taken in giving them this truth. Or perhaps you put your faith in a doctor or a financial advisor or a counselor or some other authority only to find that their wisdom actually proved disastrous for you. If I were being honest, I would say that I've had many of those kinds of experiences in my life and I suspect I am not alone in this. I wonder if something of that sort of experience is not why King David of Israel penned the words that we read in the 62nd Psalm, which is our text for this morning. Listen to the word of God as it comes from Psalm 62 at verse one. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. The psalmist then goes on a brief detour in the next verses. Uh, giving us a window into the realities that he's dealing with that lead him to try to cling to God, Uh, that that lead us to realize that these opening words he's making to us are actually a, a reach of faith, trembling hand reaching out for God in the midst of a difficult time. He is struggling because people have failed him. Apparently some people whose names have been now lost to history are assailing David. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. In other words, at a time when I'm vulnerable, when I'm already leaning and tottering, David is sharing with us, some people seem to be trying to pull themselves up by pulling me down. They're saying pretty things in front of me, but they're saying ugly things behind my back, blessing and cursing. People are fickle. 
this kind of a scenario would not be unfamiliar to so many people in so many environments of life. People are fickle. We all are in various ways. And we fail each other. And we fail God. And it is why we need a savior. It is also why it is most important to follow not the pastor, but the master, as so many religious communities have discovered in their own settings. It is also why David continues by saying here, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people, says David. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. I've titled my message today, Can I Trust You? Resting in the Refuge of God. What if we don't trust God? If I'm being completely honest, I have to admit that it is easy when one has had one's trust broken so many times by people to start seeing God through the lens of these experiences as well. God, can you really be trusted? (laughs) We sometimes wonder. Why did you let me lose that baby? Why did you let me lose my health? Why did you let me lose that opportunity I so cherished or needed? Why didn't you intervene in that situation where I was in pain? God, my kids are messed up and I don't know what to do about it. God, my marriage is in trouble or my finances are desperate. My friend or my family member is sick or is dying, and I'm trying to have faith, God, but I'm scared. Can I trust you? Have you ever wondered this? If ever there was a moment when someone would be understood to have such doubts, It would have to be Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his crucifixion. The Bible says that Jesus went there with his disciples to pray and that his heart was deeply distressed and troubled. Of course it was. Of course it was. Jesus saw the storm clouds gathering over him and the agony of what lay ahead on his pathway. He would soon be arrested and thrown into chains, as you know. He would be tried and tortured by his enemies. He would be splayed out upon a cross and have cold nails driven through the flesh and bones of his hands and of his feet. Every human being who had ever appeared to be faithful to him, at least most of them, (laughs) were going to prove untrustworthy to him. Most of the friends who had claimed that they were absolutely devoted to him were going to find that they had other appointments. All of the people in the crowd who had cheered him when he entered the gates on Palm Sunday 
when he fed them and healed them and entertained them, they would turn against him. Two things are particularly striking to me about what Jesus said to God in his prayer that night. They're instructive, I think, for all of us as we go through the difficult times of our life in whatever sphere. The first of those statements that Jesus makes we find in these words. Going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground. And he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. I love this prayer. I've, I've, I've prayed this prayer many times through my life. I've come to moments of trial or tragedy in my own journey or in the journey of people that I love. And I've said to God, look, I believe you are all powerful just like your word says. Why, if you could create this universe in the first place, then this problem I see here is not a problem for you. <laughs> it just isn't. You have the power to do whatever you want. You can stop the earth in its orbit if you choose God. You can heal this person. You can fix this situation. You can raise people even from the dead. God, you gave the Cubs the World Series. Anything's possible for you. So change these circumstances, Lord. Change these circumstances. Find a plan B. Take this cup of bitterness and exchange it for a cup of blessing. You can do it. I know you can. You are the all-powerful, all-sufficient God. Sometimes we're afraid to talk to God that honestly, maybe. We think it's, it's disrespectful to tell God what we want. It seems like a lack of faith to question the way things are unfolding. But Jesus shows us, Jesus shows us that it's not. That it's not a sign of lack of trust in God to beg him for a plan B. Jesus, like David in the Psalms, shows us actually that these prayers like this are the natural behavior of people who see themselves not as just some conglomeration of atoms in a blind and insensitive universe, but people who see themselves as beloved children of the Heavenly Father. 1 John 3 and verse 1 declares, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, for this is what we are. To not talk honestly with God about what you are going through, to not talk honestly with God about what you are feeling about a given situation and what you would actually love him to do about this situation would actually be the failure of faith. It would be a failure of authentic relationship. It would be a lie. 
How real is a relationship if we can't be honest? It seems important to me, too, to notice the second part of Jesus' prayer. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Thy will be done. You know what the most important word in that prayer is, I think? Do you know know the one word there that is the key to understanding the cross of Christ or the cup of bitterness that we may sometimes in life be asked to drink? You know what that key word is? It's the word Abba. It's the Aramaic word Abba. It's a word of intimacy and respect which many of us learned is most properly translated as dear father, dear dad. Jesus had taught his disciples to address God this way when he instructed them how to pray. And it seemed like heresy, perhaps, at the start. God was so great, so transcendent, so majestic in the mind of the Jewish person that to address God in these intimate, personal terms was one of the most radical religious notions ever presented to humanity. As author James Bryan Smith helpfully observes, the the Lord's Prayer itself is aimed at trying to correct our ideas about the God who runs our lives who runs this universe, who is the sovereign one over everything, the magnificent and the messy parts of life. This then is how you should pray, said Jesus. Start by saying, our Father, our Abba, who art in heaven. Sometimes people say that phrase, in heaven, and and they think that it is telling us that God is way out there someplace, it's like we shouldn't really be saying Abba because he's out there. He's too great. He's out there someplace in the vast reaches of the cosmos. In, In reality, Jesus is actually telling us the opposite thing. To the Jews, the word heaven literally meant the invisible plane all around us. When you say, my Father in heaven, you are reminding yourself, actually, that God is immediately present to you, that he is closer to you than your own heartbeat, that he's just a vibration away from where you're sitting right now in this plane. God is near to you. And then says Jesus, say to God, hallowed be your name. When you pray that, you're saying, God, I I know you are holy, from which the word hallowed comes. I know you are holy, which means I know you are completely pure-hearted in your being. That means there is nothing in God that is darkened, distorted, deceitful, or double-minded 
in any way. He will never, ever act toward you in a way that is not completely pure, that is not in total concert with his pure purposes to advance his kingdom and to advance the welfare and redemption of everyone that he can reach. Say also, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, says Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done here as it's done in the invisible places. Remind yourself in this way, I think Jesus is telling us, that God is not struggling to get his will done. God is not just hoping it might happen. God is the king of the universe. God God is unthinkably and unstoppably powerful and purposeful in getting done what his will actually is. And there will be people, of course, and sometimes I or you are one of those people who resist or defy or miss his will at this stage of human history, but in more places than are visible to any of us, God's will is being accomplished, and God's will in the end will be fully done. And then the Lord's Prayer goes on to include a series of petitions that tell us even more about the heart of God. Give us this day our daily bread, we're told to pray. Why? Because God is concerned with providing for his children. He does care for them in tangible ways. When you leave one job, he's got something else for you to do. When a hole gets created, he's got a plan for filling it. When you have a a desperate need in your life or in 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 the depths of your spirit, he has a plan for addressing that. He has the capacity to fix that. He wants us also to share the bread he gives us as part of his plan for helping other people make it through their day. And then we're asked to say, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's a reminder that God is a graciously pardoning father, thank goodness. He wants to repair broken relationships He shows his goodness in his giving, but also in his forgiving. And he wants us to be like him in this regard. And then finally, Jesus says that we are to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, remember that God is your protector and your rescuer. Remember that he's your shepherd and your redeemer. He does not want to see evil triumph in our lives. And life circumstances sometimes throw us into into places emotionally and relationally where we can actually give in to evil in our lives. And God wants to deliver us from this and to set our feet on lofty places. I hope you see something of the composite picture of God's character that gets painted in this prayer. This is the dear father that Jesus personally knew. This is the father that he tried to serve every moment of his life. This is the father to whom he thrilled at the thought of returning to in the upper room before Good Friday. God is a being who is always, always out after his kids' best interests. 
It's why Jesus knew that it was absolutely okay to ask his father if there might be a plan B, something other than the cross. But the reason that Jesus concludes that famous Gethsemane prayer by saying, yet not what I will, but thy will be done, Father, is because he knew with perfect clarity what it is understandably as human beings hard to think of, hard to hold on to in certain moments. And think about this with me. In fact, I would suggest if you've, if you've been going someplace else with your thoughts, please come back and think about this probably most important of all takeaways from today. If God is, as the Bible says, and I believe, utterly sufficient in his power, if God is completely good in his character, then there is only one possible explanation for why he sometimes lets those painful plan A's in our life go forward. It must be because he knows something that we do not yet know about what will ultimately advance his glory and therefore our best interests. Many years ago, our, my wife Amy and I stood in a, in, a, in a pre-operative room in a hospital in La Jolla, California, as our eldest child, uh, a, a boy of no more than about 18 months, was being prepped for surgery. Our child did not understand what was happening to him. Uh, he was a bit like my friend Michael, <laughs> a moment ago, he didn't understand that good was moving toward him. He could only feel the trembling fear and the uncertainty and the risk and the danger of the moment. There was just no adequate way to explain to a child of that age that this operation had to be done. The doctor needed to go inside of his head and implant some tubes in the inner canals of his ears so that the terrible motion sickness and the constant ear infections that had plagued his life for so long might finally stop and he'd be able to hear again and to move through life again in a better way. As the hospital staff tried to put the anesthesia mask over his face, our child began sobbing hysterically and fighting the physician. It was one of those clear plastic masks where we could actually see the expression of his face as the mask went down. And with tears on our own faces, Amy and I pinned his arms down. We were asked by the surgeon, help me, pin his arms down. And he looked from one hand holding him to the other hand holding him. And he looked up at us through tear-swollen eyes with a, a, a glare of sadness and horror I will never get out of my mind. I can never forget the picture. I saw his mouth moving beneath the clear plastic mask pressed to his face. I'm not sure what exact words he spoke, but the message was obvious I thought you loved me. I thought you had the power to save me. 
I thought you were good and for me. I thought I could trust you. Why have you betrayed me? Hours after Jesus prayed that night in Gethsemane, a crowd of soldiers took him to a hillside outside of Jerusalem and they pinned his arms down on the cross. In an act of courage greater than any child of man, the Son of God chose to lay himself down on that table. He went there voluntarily to the operating room to undergo a surgery of sorts in the spiritual dimension for a world that had lost its ability to hear fully. Courageous though he was, the agony of that particular experience eventually overcame even Jesus. At one point he cried out in heaven in the Aramaic of his childhood, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then something seemed to settle in Jesus as he hung there. Maybe the anesthetic of the wine vinegar they had tried to press to his lips helped a little bit to dilute the pain. Perhaps the tears in his eyes cleared for a moment and he was able to see beyond the faces of the jeering, uncaring crowd and into an invisible place where someone else had drawn strangely near. The Bible simply says that Jesus then called out in a loud voice, Abba. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. There will be many times, many, many times to come, when we will find it difficult to understand why God allows one of us or one of our loved ones to endure the agonies that they do. We're not going to like all of the changes and the challenges life brings us. We're not going to want to sign up for the character development program God may have in store for us. It is okay to cry out, to ask God if there might be a plan B. Sometimes there is a plan B. But when there's not, it's helpful, I think, to remember the words of the psalmist and the example of Jesus and to trust in the Lord at all times. O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. He is our safe place. He is our savior, our restorer, our redeemer. Remember also that one day the operation of his grace will reach its final fulfillment and the work of healing that Jesus began will be completely done. And on that day, all of God's children, 
will rise from the table wonderfully and utterly whole. And we will see our dear Father, the great physician, the Holy Spirit, God three in one, standing there by us. And we'll see the hands, the scars in those hands, and the love in his eyes. And we will know then with total assurance that even in our darkest hour, he was always with us. He was always there, fully trustworthy, at work for good, even in the painful places of life, as I believe he is now. Please pray with me. Great and trustworthy God, may thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. And may we have the grace and the patience to await that fulfillment. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.